morning to all of you. Again, uh, there in the worship center here in the fellowship hall, it is good to be um, with you. And if you are one of our guests here, uh, thank you for coming. Uh, my name is Paulie Menes, pastor, and we're glad that you're here. And uh, we have the opportunity to worship in two rooms at uh, the second hour. And so if you're over there in the worship center, one of our guests, welcome. If you're here in the modern worship service, uh, we are so glad that you're here. I'll be uh, over in between the two areas in this hallway, uh, in between, uh, the, uh, not far from the Welcome Center area. Afterwards, come by and see me. It'd be great just to say hello to you. I'm always, always thrilled to see uh, who has come, and we're grateful for uh, your visiting with us. Let me uh, just share with you, just real, uh, real quickly, but genuinely, here we want to honor Doug Miswell, and I made an announcement last week about him leaving, and many of you have asked, how can we honor him well? I know you want to do that, and so here's what uh, we want to do is next week in the gathering space, the Welcome Center area, we're going to have an opportunity to honor him and Janet, and uh, so there'll be a drop-by there from 3 to 4.30, 3 to 4.30 next Sunday, the 28th, so put it on your calendar whatever you need to do to get over here. And our church does things incredibly, some things very, very well. And that is we, we love and care uh, for those individuals who have served us well. And so we get an opportunity to do that. So I just wanted to say that to both services, you hear it from your pastor. I want to do that. We all want to do that. So thank you for uh, just praying for this week and all that has transpired. And I, I'll say this, it has been... Uh, an incredible week to speak with you as you share your heart with me. And it has been an incredible, as I said last week, an incredible learning experience, listening experience, and I hope it has been for those who um, have come and said, here's our heart. And I said, great. And it was amazing to see how God used those conversations, whether text or phone or email or uh, sitting across from you at Starbucks, sitting in your home, uh, or sitting here at the church. Uh, all week, uh, com communicating with one another in the hopes that God can move us forward in the days ahead. Let's continue to do that. Let's continue to speak to one another well, and I think God is honored by that. So just wanted to share. James chapter 2 is where we are this morning, and what James does when, as we're working through this book, and I hope, I hope that you've been with us and you're able to walk through this book because it, it's, it's amazing when you walk through a book like this, whether in your personal study or in preaching, it's almost as if you are following this story. You, you are following this pattern, this thread of the Holy Spirit speaking to a particular group of people. And in this case, the Holy Spirit is speaking through James, who was the half-brother of Jesus, speaking to churches that he writes to, and they're primarily Jewish believers or people who are attending house churches that are comprised mainly of Jewish people. That's the flavor. We'll see that a little bit today. But as James begins working through uh, this, this, uh, this scripture from the Holy Spirit, here's what he's been telling us. He's been telling us about testing and temptation. He's been telling us about how we speak how we listen so that we don't become angry. Last week we talked about partiality or discrimination. And so James has been watching the church and he's been watching believers. And the Holy Spirit wants to speak to believers. And he comes to a passage today 
and I think it's almost as if James hits the pause button and he says, hold it a second. We got to get something straight here. Something is not all the way right with the hearts of people. And we can talk all we want about uh, temptation. We can talk all we want about testing to the believer. We can talk about how we speak to one another. James chapter 3, in a couple of weeks, we'll talk about the tongue, power of the tongue, the power of our speech and communicating. Talk about wisdom. We talk about wealth. We can talk about all these things. But it's almost as if this passage right here that we're going to come to, James hits a pause button and he says this. He says, there is an issue between some of you who hold the faith of Jesus Christ and you hold the gospel in one hand, but there is a gap between what you say you profess and what you practice. He says there's almost this disconnect and if people are watching you, there's this disconnect between what you say you profess and actually what you prof- what you possess in practice. And James is going to is really going to come straight at us here a little bit and, and understanding genuine faith and whether our faith there's a gap between what we say we believe and what we actually believe and what we actually practice. So let's jump right in this morning and and we're going to look about look at authentic faith this morning, and we're going to look from verses 14 through 26 of James chapter 2, and I just want to walk through this with you so that we all understand the gospel and what it means to have authentic faith and what it looks like for for all of us, all right? James chapter 2, if you don't have a copy of the Word of God, uh, go ahead and grab one. The pew rack in front of you there in the worship center here, just raise your hand, and our deacons are looking uh, for you. If you need a hard copy, you might want to find one on your digital device, whatever you need. I think there's a hand in the way, way back. Deacons, if you can help out way back there. Okay, very good. And uh, your digital device, James chapter 2. Here we go, verse 14, and we're going to read through verse, uh, through verse 17 to begin this morning. What good is it, my brothers... If someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Now, this is strong language. This is strong language from James. Thought number one coming right out of the text this morning, faith without fruit is not authentic faith at all. Faith without fruit is not authentic faith at all. And so when James stops, he hits the pause button here. He says, okay, hold it, hold it. I want to ask you a question. If someone uh, says he has faith, verse 14, but he doesn't have anything to back it up. Um, is that faith authentic? Can that faith save him? In the, in the original language, in the Greek, the, the way that James constructs the language, he adds a, 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 little, a, little, a little word in there at the beginning so that when the hearers hear this in the original language, they'll know that the answer to these first two questions is emphatically no right from the beginning. So James says, verse 14, 
What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? The answer is his faith is no good. Can his faith genuinely save him? No, it cannot, he says. Faith without any kind of fruit is not authentic faith at all. And so he gives an illustration. He says, all right, they're at the church. And maybe he's seen this, or maybe it's just something the Holy Spirit brings to his attention. I think it's something that he has seen. But he says, verse 15, if a brother or a sister, so this is a member of the body. This is someone who is coming regularly. If a member of the body comes, and they don't have clothes, and they don't have uh, food, and there's this incredible need there, and you know of that need, and your response to the need is this. I hope that someone will take care of you. I hope that God will take care of you. Go in peace, be warmed, and be filled, and you don't do anything to give them the things that you need. James says that's a sign that what you say you believe is distant, disconnected from what you practice. And it's more than simply just saying, okay, I want to be... um, I want to be helpful. I want to be a good humanitarian to people. I want, I, I, I'm, I'm always looking out to help people. It's more than that. It's more than that, as we'll see today. It's a heart issue. It's a heart issue. It's whether your heart has been truly transformed. It's whether your heart has truly been opened by faith and by the gospel to the point where your heart is not closed and stingy But instead, your heart is open and ready to meet the needs of other people. That's just one example of fruit. And James says, faith by itself, here's an illustration. But faith, if it's just professed by itself, you just say, I'm a believer. You just say, I have faith, but it has nothing behind it. If it has no works with it, then therefore, it is dead. It is not even alive. Your faith has never, ever come to life. Wow, James, really? And our wheels start turning a little bit because if you're, if you're familiar with Bible study, maybe some of you aren't, but if you're familiar with Bible study, um, we, we know in the New Testament um, th- there's, a, there's a writer by the name of Paul who, who wrote most of the New Testament. And Paul is a champion of this notion that faith is not something that can be achieved or something that you receive because you do good works. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. Not of any works, lest anyone should brag and say, my faith is because I've done something. Romans chapter 3 and 4, multiple times. You cannot achieve faith by the works of the law. Galatians chapter 6, all throughout the, the, the writings of Paul, we have this champion saying, you cannot be saved by your works. You cannot earn your way into heaven. So when James comes to us and says, okay, show me your faith and show me your works together, we get a little bit confused. And throughout Christian history, people have been a little bit confused by this passage. Which one is it? Is it faith alone or is it faith and works? How do we prove that? And it's a great, great question. And many people have been tripped up by this. Here, I want to help you this morning when it comes to the, to the understanding of faith and grace and Scripture. Paul and James are not going at it here. On one side, Paul's saying it's faith alone, grace alone. James is saying it's faith plus works. It, that, that's not the case. They're looking at 
salvation. They're looking at faith. They're looking at grace. They're looking at, 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 at growing in Christ from two different perspectives. On the one hand, Paul is looking at salvation and faith from the beginning. And Paul is fighting all of these legal, legalists and Judaizers who are saying, you got to be Jewish in order to be a believer. You got to do this to become a believer in Christ. You got to be circumcised. You have to participate in Jewish life. And, and they have a skirmish over that in Acts chapter 15. And Paul is this champion of, no, the only thing that you need to, to have faith in Christ and receive the grace and mercy and forgiveness of Christ, you don't have to do anything. You just trust and believe in Christ. You come to the cross and you throw yourself at the mercy of the cross and you don't do anything. You, you quit doing things. And he says, then you become a follower of Jesus on one hand. Faith alone, grace alone. But here's James. James is on the other end. James is on this end of the experience of salvation and he is looking back and he's saying, yeah, Paul, you're, you're right, Paul. Absolutely. I, I understand what the scriptures say. But I'm also understanding that on this side, that if you are truly converted, truly transformed, truly changed, if that is genuine, here's from the Holy Spirit, there must come with that faith fruit. Faith without fruit is not authentic faith at all. Ephesians 2 verse 10, we stop at 8 and 9. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, to bear fruit, to live a life where there is an outflow of things in our lives that have impact on other people, that have impact on our character. There is something that says we are fruitful because our faith is genuine. And all James is saying here is, is no, works is not attached to your faith, but works is a byproduct of your genuine faith. And if there is nothing that is flowing from that, then James is going back to the beginning and asking the question, is your faith really, really alive? Now this is, wow, th this is straight at us this morning. And here's the reality. You ready? The reality is in that worship center room this morning at 9 o'clock and in the two rooms today, there are individuals here who do not know Jesus personally. And I think you're here today for the Holy Spirit and James to speak to you along with all of us to learn and to check our hearts as to see whether we're genuinely converted, we're genuinely saved. James continues. Faith without fruit is not authentic faith at all. Secondly, belief about God does not equal belief in God. Belief about God does not equal belief in God. Verse 18. Read with me. Take a look at your text. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. This is almost someone saying, okay, um, you can profess uh, I'm, let me profess my faith quietly. Let, let me profess it uh, just kind of by myself. And you do your works publicly. You, you, you have things happen to you, and you, but I'm just going to do this over here by myself. And, and James explodes. No, 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 no. He says, show me your faith apart from your works, 
and I will show you my faith by my works. You, you, you can't have this private little faith without some outworking. I'm not saying you have to be Billy Graham once you become a believer. I'm not saying you have to be, become a missionary and, and go share the gospel with thousands and thousands and thousands of people in order to, to prove you're a believer. But there has to be some inward character transformation and some outward flow of fruit that proves your faith, James says. This isn't me. This is, this is the word of God. And so he says, look at this next phrase. This is where he really goes after it, all right? He says, okay, you profess your faith. And so verse 19, you believe that God is one and you do well. But even the demons believe and shudder. Okay, now, here's what he's saying, okay? Remember, Jewish context, Jewish believers, James a Jew, all right? Here, here is Deuteronomy chapter 6. This is, this is what the Jewish people would kind of wear as their religious badge of honor. Um, the, the Shema, it's a saying that they would recite, they would do it repeatedly, and, and it's this, that our God is one, and what they're saying is this, as they go into the nations around them, the cultures around them, these cultures and these people and these nations have multiple gods. And they're saying our God is one. Even as they're in the Roman Empire, they're in the first century, it's, it's a good thing to say. The Romans have their gods, they have emperor, the emperor Caesar who is a god, and they're saying our God is one. And it's kind of as if that's their badge that they wear to profess and to say this is our belief about God. And James says that's good if you profess that, and that's good if you say that. He says, but let me remind you that the demons, that the spiritual forces that have been around for a long, long time, even they would say, yes, you are right that God is one. You've nailed it. He says, but here's the difference between you and the demons. The demons believe this about God, and they are moved by it. They are so terrified by who God is, but you, it doesn't make any difference. It, it doesn't make any difference at all in what you're saying. It's having no impact on your life. And so James is coming to the churches and saying, I long for you to have impact, but what you're saying isn't matching what you're doing. And there's nothing there. Even the demons, he said, believe about God. I read this poll from George Barna, who's this uh, incredible pollster. He does all these surveys. And last year, he came out with this survey about Jesus and about faith. And he interviewed thousands of people over a period of time, and, he, and, and here's, what they, here's what this survey says in 2015. He says that 92% of Americans believe that Jesus exists. That Jesus walked on the earth, that Jesus lived. Now, it doesn't mean they all agree with what, uh, what Jesus is, what he did and who he is. But 92% of Americans believe Jesus exists. I thought that was pretty high. Nine out of every ten. There's a lot of historical documentation, so I guess, I guess we can kind of take it and say, yeah, okay. Everyone believes that Jesus exists. And then, he, and then they said this. Here's what the survey said. That six out of ten Americans have made some sort of personal commitment to Jesus Christ. Six out of ten. That's a lot of people. Go to the restaurant today. Six out of ten have made some commitment to Christ. 
Let's go a little bit further. Four out of ten. Forty percent of Americans say that they have confessed their sins and have made some sort of step in receiving Jesus. Now, that could be true in some parts of the country, but, but do you know how many people that is? Here's my point. If that is true and if that faith is genuine, then what difference is it making in our country? Is the church really being the church if that's the case? They attached one paragraph to the study, or someone made a comment about the study that I found, and here's what it says. This study shows the extent of Christian commitment in the nation. More than 150 million Americans say they have professed faith in Christ. Think about that figure, if if that's true. This impressive number, then, begs the question of how well this commitment is being expressed. And as much as our previous research shows, Americans' dedication to Jesus is, in most cases, a mile wide and an inch deep. And this is where James is coming to the American church this morning. This is where James is coming to Taylor's First Baptist Church this morning. And he's asking, it's just not enough to believe about God. You need to believe in God. Now, what's the difference, Pastor? Here's the difference. That little word in, believe in. It's a strong, strong preposition, a strong, strong word. We see it in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only, uniquely begotten son that whosoever believes what? In him should not perish but have everlasting life. Here's the difference. Believing about God says I know the language. I know the lingo. I know the drill. I know the VBS thing. I know the Sunday school thing. I know the summer camp thing. All right? Here's where I have to be careful. But here's the truth. Some of you believe about God, but you don't believe in him. In him, that little preposition means that I put my full trust confidence. I am resting, abandoning everything from me, abandoning it for the sake of pursuing him. I just believe about. Even the demons believe about. Think the demons know the gospel? Yep. Yep, they saw the gospel. They, They know the gospel. Have you believed in him? Have you come to this understanding of the most incredible story ever told, and that is Christ has come to die for you and your sin and your selfishness. And the scriptures say that you are an enemy of God, but now through the cross you can be a friend of God. He can make you a son and a daughter of God. Have you believed in that? I might go downtown this afternoon and, and, and look at that incredible bridge that goes across the Reedy River. And I might say, I believe that that bridge will hold me up. And I believe that I could walk across that, but I could stay on this side of the, sh- of the river and never walk across. Or that's believing about. I believe that bridge so well made could hold me. It's a difference for me to step across the bridge and walk. 
some of you this morning, when we give the invitation this morning, some of you need to come and say, I've never believed in God. I've just believed about him. And the Holy Spirit speaking to you right now. Let's keep going. Verse 20. Authentic faith, here's the third thing. Authentic faith is affirmed and completed by works, not achieved by works. Authentic faith is affirmed and completed by works, not achieved by works. Okay, so James, here we go. We're working through this. Um, I want to know for sure I'm, I'm believing in God here. Holy Spirit, help us. Holy Spirit, speak to us now, okay? I want to believe in God. What does it look like? James says, all right, let me give you an example. Verse 20, follow with me. Dig in. Here we go. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, you shallow person, that faith apart from works is useless? Verse 21, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. There's the key, the key verse in this whole section right here. Verse 22, you want some assurance here? Is your faith, work, is your faith active along with your works? Are the works that are coming out of your life completing the faith that was begun in Christ long ago? Or maybe a short time ago. Verse 22 is key. Faith and works working together. To, be, to make you complete and mature. Verse 23, And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. Verse 24, You see then that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. You see then, James says, remember Paul on this side, James on this side, Paul is saying, hey, you're, you are declared righteous. James is saying you are demonstrated righteous over here by what you do. So give us an example. And James says, I'll give you an example. Let's look at Father Abraham. All right, this shows how your works affirm your faith. And, and here's what James is going to reach into the hearts of believers today. And he's, he's really going to tug in our hearts and say, um, here's the work that you do, that you abandon. You make sure you're, you, you abandon everything to Christ that you obey, that, that you leave everything, you sacrifice, you give whatever it is you're holding on to, you give it to Christ. That is the, the work. James is going to use this amazing example of Father Abraham. Abraham is the founder of the Jewish faith. And over in Genesis chapter 15, God comes to Abraham and he says, okay, you're going you're gonna to be, in Genesis 12, rather, you're going to be the father of this nation and from this nation is going to come Christ, the Messiah. So in Genesis 15, he's having some doubts here. He's beginning to wonder, is this going to work? And it says, Genesis 15, that Abraham said, I believe in God. It, that There's that word believe for the very first time in all of Scripture. Believe in God, and God looks at Abraham and looks at his faith and says, you are declared one of mine because of your faith. All right? 30 years. Fast forward 30 years. We come to Genesis chapter 22, and God says, Abraham, I want you to demonstrate your great faith in me. I want you to prove the authenticity of your faith. How so, God? I want you to take your son. Maybe he's 10, 11, 12, 13 years old, somewhere in there. I want you to take him, and I want you to 
sacrifice him. Now, if you're new to Bible study here and you're not familiar, this is, this is something that kind of stirs your heart and kind of confuses the imagination. God has no intention of a father murdering his son. God has every intention of asking one of his own to demonstrate his faith by abandoning everything and giving it to God. So Abraham takes his son, and they go up the mountain. They leave Sarah. Can you imagine the wife? Abraham, where are you going? <laughs> I'm taking my son to worship, okay? When you're coming home, we're coming home soon. They go up the mountain. Isaac, looking at his dad the whole way. Dad, where's the sacrifice? How's this all going to work out? Abraham has to say, okay, God, God will... God will provide. God is just asking me to exercise great faith in the face of questions, in the face of his son's um, emotions. Can, can you imagine the emotion of, when, uh, of the time when Abraham finally puts him on the altar and straps him there? What is his son thinking? Is he crying? Is he, um, is he in shock? All the while, Abraham's heart is, I need to express this faith in God. He, he says, God will raise him from the dead. He says, I don't know how this is going to work, but I believe in God. I trust him, and I want to prove it to him. I mean, this is the son from which God would bring the nation. This was the promised one. How in the world, God, is this going to work out? In the midst of uncertainty and of questions and emotions, it, it goes against every rational thinking human being's thought towards your children to do something. And Abraham steps in and says, I'll believe. I'll abandon everything. And, and this morning, if you are a follower of Jesus, this is me, okay? What is God asking you to abandon in order to demonstrate to him that you love him more than that thing you're hanging on to. I think it was the title of a book that someone wrote. It's a great title. I lay my Isaac down. What is it this morning? What sin? What stronghold? What, what, what burden? What relationship? What attitude? God's not asking you to go sacrifice your son or your daughter. He's not asking you, maybe, he's not asking you to go to the ends of the earth. Maybe some of you he is. I, I don't know, but most of us, he's not going to ask us to go to the ends of the earth today. He's simply saying, there are some things you're holding on to. And if you, James is saying, if you're asking me what does faith, fruitful faith, looks like, it means laying down whatever it is that you hold dear and giving it to God. Here's the last thing this morning. I love this. Oh, this is so good. Verse 25. Here is how Rahab, all right, Abraham justified it by abandoning everything. Here's Rahab, all right, verse 25. And in the same way, James says, I'll give you, I'll give you a second example. In the same way, 
Was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? This is taken from Joshua chapter 2. This is the story of, of, of a woman who, who was there in the city of Jericho. So, so the first illustration is, is the father of the Jewish faith. Here is this woman who, um, on the pecking order of Jewish life, she is a Gentile. Whoa, let's go down a little bit. All right. She is a woman. Oh, whew, let's go down a little bit more. She is immoral. Oh, man, she's, she is way down here. Let's go a little bit further. She's a prostitute. If you could go lower than a dog, Rahab is probably lower than a dog. And James, this is so good. He says, okay, I, I just want to show you that whether you are the founder of the Jewish faith or you are lower than a dog, you can experience and practice genuine faith. And it's not dependent upon how religious and good you are. It's not dependent upon how horrible a past you might have had. Faith still quickens and makes alive. And you can participate in that like Rahab did. And you can come to the fulfillment of God for your life no matter who you are. This is the beauty of the gospel this morning. Some of you need to hear this. That the beauty of the gospel is that it is available to all people. It's just not for Taylor's First Baptist Church. The Lord knows that. It's just not for Southern Baptists. It's just not for those who got it together. It's just not for those that your marriage is intact. It's just not for those that, that you haven't, you're, you're not addicted to anything. It's just the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is where James comes in and says, listen, this faith is so valuable that even a, a prostitute can grab it and hang on to it. This morning, some of you, one of you in this room or in the other room needs to hear the gospel is available to you. God wants you to be transformed by it, and he wants you to, to be made alive, and then he wants you to practice and live in that gospel and be freed by that gospel freed whether you're Abraham or freed whether you're a prostitute to pursue whatever God puts in front of me to do. And in so doing, we affirm. Not because, not because we're trying to figure it all out and work it all out and check the list, but we are liberated and freed by the gospel to pursue God. And in the process, we affirm we complete what God started. Verse 26. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also is faith apart from this fruit. So too is that faith dead. So where are you this morning? Where are you on the spectrum? Are you over here? Have you not even entered into this relationship with God? It's available to you this morning. I can't give you any more than I've got this morning. Then God loves you. And you desperately, before you stand before him in judgment, he offers you incredible grace and freedom through Christ and the cross. Are you over here? Or, or are you somewhere along here? And God has come to you 
and he's whispered, let it go. Abandon whatever it is, and in so doing, demonstrate to me how much your faith is genuine. Wow, what an incredible challenge this morning. Let's pray and ask the Holy Spirit to make it genuinely ours. Lord, it's easy to preach something like this and just to get it out. (laughs) But you know my heart. This week, praying for this body, and here is this passage which clearly goes to the heart of the gospel. For some, they need that gospel. For others, here's a challenge to actually practice it if it's genuine and real. So whatever it is this morning that you're calling individuals to, whether it's to come to Christ for the very first time, to step out and say, I don't, I I believe about him, but I I don't believe in him. And now I want to walk across that bridge and know him. Will you call individuals to yourself this morning? And Father, will you challenge believers? Challenge us not to be legalists. Not a bunch of Pharisees checking off our list, but freed slaves, freed from sin, free to pursue Christ with reckless abandon, laying it all down. Thank you. Lord, for the preaching of your word, thank you for your Holy Spirit. Lead us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen and amen.